0: It just gave me a very simple yet effective paradigm for evaluating language. Is this poetic? Is this ordinary? Is this uh, scientific? Or like, where does it fall on the spectrum? If I'm struggling with something in scripture, I can just think through like, okay, is this because I think it's poetic when it's like a scientific term or scientific sentence, or or vice versa? Just also. Trying to follow in Lewis's footsteps in remembering that poetry is significant,
1: but there is real uh, information in poetry and in the poetics of the Bible. It, and a lot of people will think, you know, it takes skill to to kind of parse between the two, and it does take some some level of skill. It, but I think it's more about like having a relationship with Christ and with the Holy Spirit to be able to parse out the literal from the metaphor of the Bible. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known
2: works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us for Season 3 on Metaphor and Myth, where Lewis's writings on language, imagination, and storytelling will help us come to see, know, and taste reality more deeply. Andrew, I know one difference that Lewis said in the difference between science, scientific language and poetic language is that scientific language is more about quantitative and, and the value of poetic language is that it's more about qualitative. Do you see another difference between those two things?
1: Yeah. Um, I do think another, I guess, difference or barrier between the two things is, uh, that scientific uh, language and really science in general is all about repeatability. Mm. Um, if you can't do it more than once, you know, science doesn't particularly take you seriously, um, or scientists, I should say. Um, you know, science is kind of based around the ability to repeat procedures and maintain the same results. Um, but this isn't the same with poetry, right? The more often you consume art or poetry, um, and the more it is repeated, it actually kind of loses something. Um, now, the best art or best poetry definitely has some staying power. Um, but if I just like put the best poem in the world on repeat in your house, it eventually just becomes noise, right? Whereas for something scientific, If I put it on repeat, it's still true over and over and over and over. Now, it's because there's a different goalpost for the two things. But that is, you know, a difference between the two. And I will say, ironically enough, um, this is something I think the beauty and splendor of God goes above and beyond this truth because he's infinite. So, like, while he, you know, like... His beauty is so infinite that that repetition doesn't get old. But, you know, anything less than God
0: kind of, to me, at least fits in this category. Can I push back on your metaphor a little bit? Go for it. So you you were, ta- you were talking about how if you have a like a poem on repeat, it just becomes noise. But if you have some sort of science thing repeating, it doesn't reduce the the truth of it. I don't, I don't know. I I I know what you're trying to say. I just I would maybe choose something different cuz if you had a poem on repeat it might become noise, but it doesn't reduce the truth of the poem either just like a, if you're listening to like a a science paper, it doesn't reduce doesn't reduce the the truth.
1: I see your point in regards to like they're they're not that poetry doesn't have objective truth in it, right? Even Lewis says I think he's talking about the flowers and relating them to women. And Mm -hmm. you may look at that woman and be like, not a chance. She's a red, red rose. Um, Right. That's, that's one of the uh, analogies he Mm -hmm. uses, but then he does come back and say, like, you know, if this is a love, love poem and, you know, this is meant to provoke emotion, then it doesn't matter what you think. She is a red, red rose, but I guess, yeah. The, not that there's not objective truth, and and maybe to say it, it maybe it doesn't lose all meaning, but I, it does lose some meaning because it will stop provoking the emotion that's intended to provoke. Um, and maybe it's not a, you know, if it's a neon sign, it's not it's not out of light, but it's not. I wouldn't say when you put it on repeat, yeah. it's not as bright. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it does reduce, I guess, the emotion. But I guess that was part of Lewis's argument that, like, poetry, its main goal is not to produce emotion. It's to, uh, I guess, use emotion to give you a better idea of what the author or creator was feeling and or to, and to point you towards something to to use, to use the emotion to point you towards something larger like the a, a poem if it gives you a, a a thrill in your diaphragm it's not necessarily to give you that thrill he says that pornography is to just right. give you a thrill but to uh point you towards love or to point you towards um something but. higher to like like we had mentioned in, in the transposition
1: my question back to that would be what happens when the poetry is no longer giving you the thrill.
0: I think it still points you towards, uh, the higher ideal, um, that the author is intending to, uh, convey or point you towards.
1: I think the higher ideal is still true. I think Mm -hmm. the, but what I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's not that the higher ideal is not true. It's that you now no longer have the sign pointing to the higher idea, mm. because you lose the emotion okay. through repetition.
2: Yeah, maybe okay. could we say that the, um, the if you repeat the same poetry, it re- it like reduces the effectiveness of communicating, right? The information. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you repeat um, a scientific statement over and over. It should still. It actually, like,
1: yeah. If anything, it increases the effectiveness because just through memorization, right? But you know, um, yeah, I'd say objective truth is objective truth, no matter how how much you repeat it. But um, like I think you you uh, succinctly said that it definitely reduces the effectiveness.
0: Yeah, forgive you know, yeah. me if I was being combative. I was just trying oh, to. you're good, brother. Under- yeah.
1: it was good. I appreciate the pushback. Sure, listeners have that same pushback.
2: It reminded me, though, of this great part in Paralandra where oh, actually I can never remember where something is in Lewis might be Paralandra. I think the at least the the poetic telling of this is in Paralandra, although he might say something similar in Letters to Malcolm, that the one prayer God never answers is encore,
1: that (laughs)
2: he he tends to not want to repeat himself over and over or repeat our experiences of I love him that. over and over. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it as well. It's in, in life though, it's hard because I'm always praying oh. for <laughs> the same thing over and over. Can you just do that again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. The one thing I'll add before we move on to some other themes, maybe from the essay is just, I have to draw my attention, our listeners attention to this one paragraph here, because we have a couple of times Sean and I joked about Lewis's writing being like taking an ice bath where he'll just, Uh. you know, a cold shower and it's just shocking, but it's what you needed and it's good for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. and in this, I think it's the fourth paragraph of the essay, he uses an ice bath as an analogy for what he's talking about. And I thought, no way, this is funny. I'll just read a little bit of it. Lewis writes, if having lived all our lives in the tropics, we didn't know what a hard frost was like, the thermometer reading would not of itself inform us. So he's just saying, you could tell someone how cold this ice bath is going to be based on the thermometer reading. And that would be scientific language. You say it's, you know, minus, uh, well, uh, now I'm probably talking to those who use fahrenheit and we I'm celsius guy but uh, you could t- you could say that it's cold based on the thermometer mm-hmm. right but he says probably this he says ordinary language would do would do that better so saying something like your ears will ache you'll lose the feeling in your fingers you'll feel as if your ears were coming off and just relating what the ice bath is like in ordinary language probably does the trick better than if you're to tell someone who's never experienced freezing water before, you know, it's this temperature and they just don't have a grid for it. So that's, a. I thought that was a good example of how scientific language doesn't always communicate to people what you're trying to communicate.
0: I think, yeah, and I think we're an interesting, I uh, guess, example of this, like, like you said, you're you're Celsius and we're Fahrenheit. You being from Canada, us from the the right. states, and yeah, if you said 15 degrees, um, we have a much different idea of of what that means. <laughs> right. Where, uh, like you, yeah, if you said, hey, the 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 bath is, uh, so cold it's scalding, then we, yeah, that cuts across political boundaries.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, anything but the metric system. So you can say kilometers, uh-huh. I'll have no idea, but you can tell me in football fields mm-hmm. and I got right.
2: you. Yeah. I don't know if, if you guys have seen those memes, because uh, maybe it's just non-Americans who enjoy them and, and post them, but there's memes <laughs> about Americans will use any unit of measurement other than... Uh, other than the metric yeah, system? Yeah. I love those no, memes. they're so funny. <laughs> they are. Yeah. So... Our whole season is on metaphor and myth, and this essay focuses a lot on the smaller aspects of language. So there's some essays where Lewis gets into the ideas of myth, and that goes down some very large metaphysical rabbit holes. But here he's he's talking more about poetry, and, and maybe um, he mentions it once, but metaphor, um, I think, is a, a major part of the idea here. What, what did you guys learn about metaphors in this essay that might be of practical use to people, or um, maybe how is poetic language related to imagination or metaphor? He also talks about imagination here.
1: Yeah, um, you know, in a very practical sense, um, you know, prior to being in human resources, I was a, a youth and young adult minister, mm-hmm. and um, I saw... You know, people in the church, you know, tried to read a little too scientifically yeah. into uh, the poetry um, of the Bible. Uh, Genesis and Revelation mm. are kind of the main main victims of this in the Bible. Um, but there is real uh, information in poetry and in the poetics of the Bible, um, and and I find that it, it is rarely as literal. Um, as some people make it out to be again revelation, where you have this dragon coming out of the the water um, and it's like i'm I am all for the supernatural, I am all for you know God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, but I don't think that's the message that that passage was trying to get across is that there's going to be a dragon coming out of the ocean mm-hmm. it, and a lot of people will think you know it takes skill to to kind of parse between the two, and it does take some some level of skill it is something you can practice um but i think and this is kind of going back to what i said earlier um it's more about like having a relationship with christ and with the holy spirit to be able to parse out the literal from the metaphor of the bible Hmm. um and for example like my my best friends know when i'm being serious versus when i'm joking much better than other people right um And they know when I'm saying something literally, when I'm saying something metaphorically. Um, And the more and more of a stranger you are to me, the worse that that you're going to be. Um, And so I can only imagine our relationship with Christ and our relationship with the Bible is very similar to that.
0: For me, it was, I don't know, he just gave me a very simple yet effective paradigm for evaluating language. So, if, since I've read this essay, I've been reading when I read other things, I'm like, okay, is this poetic? Is this ordinary? Is this uh scientific or like where does it fall on the spectrum? And in my own writing, I it, it's helping me think like, okay, I I've said several poetic uh sentences and okay, maybe I need to throw in a, a more scientific one or or maybe i just write a whole paragraph of ordinary sentences and then i can go back and dial up the poetics or dial up the science and so it's um it's probably not a perfect paradigm but it's just been a fun little lens uh through which to um evaluate the the language uh, around me so yes yeah, so i just that's been one way it's been uh useful
2: yeah I thought that was useful as well. Just being able to see how there's kind of a spectrum of how we talk and communicate and mm-hmm. just being able to yeah see everything now through that lens and and realize probably just having that lens, even just reading this essay is helpful to then, like you were saying, Andrew. to to then read scripture and then be able to better evaluate is this thing that I'm reading in scripture more scientific or theological, or is it more poetic or is it more just ordinary or, you know, where does it fall on that spectrum?
0: Was there anything that you found uh, particularly useful uh, or anything else, Jordan?
2: I I found that when he talks about metaphors, it sounds like, or just poetic language, it sounds like metaphors maybe are something that will, that are able to help us experience things that we couldn't experience otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that just makes metaphors like such a powerful tool, both in Mm -hmm. what I choose to read and how I choose to speak. Mm -hmm. He writes, I'll just read this quote because he says it better than I I could, but he says the most remarkable power of poetic language is to convey to us the quality of experiences which we have not had or perhaps can never have, to use factors within our experiences so that they become pointers to something outside our experience. As two or more roads on a map show us where a town that is off a map must lie. Which is great because he uses like a... Uh, I guess it's a simile there at the end, but a similar literary device <laughs> to just demonstrate mm-hmm. what he's what he's just said about the power of poetic language and similes and metaphors is take something we do have experience with and then helps us understand something mm-hmm. we don't have experience with or perhaps can never have experience with. And in that way, this is kind of a dumb, this is my Meager attempt at being poetic, but it feels like poetic language or metaphors are almost like vi- virtual reality where it can mm-hmm. kind of put you in a whole new experience that you never could have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. The way virtual reality kind of tricks your mind into showing you images that you do have experience with and they're not real images and they're not you know they're not scientifically they don't exist what you're looking at. Um, but by looking at these things that don't really exist, it helps you f- have an experience that you couldn't have had otherwise. I think, uh, as I'm saying mm-hmm. that, I'm thinking of a bunch of ways that that doesn't quite work. The metaphor doesn't quite work, but I don't know if any metaphor ever really 100% lines up. No, they all break down eventually. Which I guess if, if they didn't, there would be scientific language.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't be a metaphor anymore.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Thornton, you mentioned earlier that y- you had this thought reading this about why, why more people wouldn't have followed in Lewis's footsteps, becoming a Christian, kind of having these thoughts and them leading him to Christ. Do you see other spiritual implications in this essay from based on what Lewis is saying or or other ways that maybe this essay served to strengthen your discipleship or point you to Jesus or challenge you, encourage you?
0: Yeah. uh, I I I think I guess going back to my point a little bit um, or just a minute ago, I think it it gives me, I guess a diagnostic tool um, to know how to, maybe help someone on their spiritual journey or to diagnose my own spiritual um state where if i'm struggling with something in scripture or there is um just something else spiritually i'm struggling with i can just think through like okay is this because i am reading I think it's poetics when it's like a scientific term or scientific sentence or, or vice versa. So is it, it makes me think of like, hey, am I just misreading this, or is if someone's like, hey, like I'm struggling with this part of scripture, is it because they're looking for science when it's poetry? Um, and I think just also trying to follow in Lewis's footsteps and remembering that poetry is significant now. It might not be true, but the the object that the the poet is pointing to is significant, and to just give that that qualitative information equal weight with the quantitative, and, I, and so I know that it's sort of just uh, the same point I mentioned earlier, but I think that is for me what I will take with on my Uh, spiritual walk.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Andrew, you had mentioned that, I mean, you already mentioned that uh, it helps us when we come to the Bible and reading scripture and, and uh, Mm -hmm. helps us maybe rethink some of that or think through it more clearly. Is there anything else that you saw it touch on?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, there are a few times where you know, Lewis mentions our uh, emotions being a factor in play with using language. And I don't think it's just meant to provoke our emotions, right? But And, and Lewis says this, I'm, I'm just kind of saying it in my own words at this point, but um, it's also a glimpse into you know the emotions uh, of God hmm. through Scripture and through our experiences, through His Holy Spirit. Um, so there is an objective truth, right? We don't get to, you know, create God in our, God in our own image and then call him Jesus. But, um, you know, through scripture and through the Holy Spirit, we get a glimpse into God's emotions for us, God's emotions toward our sin, Hmm. God's emotions towards our enemies. God, right? Like he touches, he touches every part, um, even when we don't want him to, um, and so it seems to me that this would be the you know, beginning of intimacy with uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and I also kind of find it interesting that scientists try to replicate this. Hmm. They really do. They try to, to, to somehow form an intimacy with science that isn't there and isn't, will never really be there. Um, but you know, if you ever listen to Brian Cox, Carl Sagan, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they will speak very poetically. About science and to convey scientific information, um, but that seems to prove lewis 's point, right that if you uh, even need to use poetic language to talk about the natural, um, how much more do you need to do that with the supernatural? Hmm. yeah, those are really good points. I think the only thing I would add
2: um, that it made me think of was mm-hmm. is just you know how he 's validating. That poetic language is significant and even ordinary language is significant. So, then for me, how am I communicating the gospel when I get the opportunity to do that? If I'm writing a sermon or just doing a Bible study, teach, or sharing my testimony or, you know, sharing the gospel with a friend somewhere, am I, my tendency, as I already said, is to go to the, uh, the literal, the scientific, the theological, to give them the, the creed, maybe just walk through that. Right. And I'm like, what if it seems like maybe a, a better place to start, or at least of a, a equally valid place to start would be with mm-hmm. ordinary language, which I guess is probably what your testimony is supposed to be. Um, yeah, I think I've found ways of making it theological or, <laughs> Putting, putting those theological, putting theological language on it. Even in, in sermons, I think about what are the sermons mm-hmm. that most impact me? And they're usually the ones that are poetic or just simple and ordinary. Uh, I really, really like theological things, mm-hmm. and so I enjoy theological sermons, but I think they feel more, mm-hmm. there, maybe there's a place for teaching, whereas maybe... I don't know. I'm starting to wonder more if sermons should be more poetic and ordinary and less theological heavy. But um, mm. those are questions probably for a homiletics professor. <laughs> I'll have to find one.
0: <laughs> that, yeah, I think that's interesting to, to view sermons through that. And I think you probably need a mix, but maybe lean towards yeah, the poetic and the ordinary. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah that that paradigm of ordinary scientific poetic is, yeah, you can think through that lens for yeah sermons and, and other things within uh, the life of the church or life of a Christian.
1: And I think that subconsciously because we are emotional beings, we let, I guess the poetry of our hearts influence, you know, how we think of things scientifically. Right. Um, and uh, there's, a one, again, one of my favorite essays is Transposition. And in that, Lewis says that our transposition of our humanity in heaven, to not think of that as like a candle being snuffed out, because there's not going to, you know, if there's no food, no sex, no fun, you know, the things we're looking for here on earth, right? Not to let that get snuffed out, but to view it um, as a candle becoming invisible, you know, because the shades have been thrown open. And the full light of the Sun has been let in right so our hearts like man like I wish heaven had this thing that I really like here on earth and Lewis is like, no 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 like that's poetry affecting the science man right um, you know it is so much greater than than your heart can even understand right now <laughs> um, And so I think I think it's important you know not to let, you know, science ruined the poetry, but not to let the poetry ruin the science either.
0: I wanted to ask you, Jordan and Andrew, if you all agree with Lewis. uh, In the first sentence, he mentioned that um, he doesn't think that there is a specifically religious language. And so I'm just curious, do you all agree with that or, Hmm. or not?
1: Well, I, I, I'm worried that I'm just going down a semantic argument here in, in regards to like, well, what is language? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think that there is a language that you have with the Holy Spirit. And I don't really mean speaking in tongues or anything to that effect, but like just a language in your spirit with the Holy Spirit that is unique. But again, I, I'm not, I think that's more of a semantic argument that I don't think Lewis is really trying to hit on here. Um, but I would say that there is a uniquely Christian, not just religious, but Christian language that you get to have with the Holy spirit. And I, outside of, you know, speaking in tongues.
2: Yeah, that's a, a good question that I'm probably gonna have to think about more, but my, my gut answer would be probably similar to Andrew. I think, it might just get into semantics, but there's certainly like religious vocabulary, even um, in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like I, there is religious language. There is a there is a way that Christians tend to speak that is cultural, I think. Um, but I think in terms of what in terms of talking about our Christian experience or our spiritual experience, the way he's set this up in this essay, I think it makes sense as far as he's willing to take it. Like what, what we mean, whatever we mean when we talk about religious language, it probably also falls onto that spectrum of ordinary poetic or theological. So it fits in those categories and isn't right. Isn't necessarily its own thing, but I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yes, I think I yeah, I agree with you all. Like you were saying, Jordan, I don't I don't think we need to set like a I guess a, a fourth point within the spectrum. I th- I think there is religious language falls on the spectrum of poetic, ordinary, or scientific. Um, but like you said, I think there is religious vocabulary. And like you said, there is the the Christianese that there are phrases or or words that Christians uh, kind of understand uh, upon hearing them. Like one of my favorites is, and I'll be interested to see if this is a if if this is a phrase in Canada. But um, I, I've heard a lot of like vision casting. So like a lot of church leaders will be like, hey, let's yeah, let's cast some vision yeah. when they're just kind of talking about brainstorming or or something. Um so like that's that's a phrase I've only heard in the church. I haven't heard it in the corporate world or the uh, the military. And uh so I think if you're like you said it depends on what you mean by language. But putting those aside, I think there is a religious language in the sense that there are unique, I guess, objects of of a spiritual conversation. And I guess what to unpack that a little bit more I think in the Psalms, when you read the Psalms, what the Psalms are preoccupied with is, is very unique compared to, I guess, other types of speaking or other types of uh, languages. Um, and because so I think in, in it, every language, like the way they order objects, direct ob, uh, direct objects, indirect objects, and and what they're sort of Focus on, or what they say and can't say is different. And so I think there is a religious language, or specifically a Christian language, that some of it is cultural, but I think there's also some of it that's scriptural, that like Jesus teaches us how to pray. So I think there are some guidelines on how to talk to the Lord and how to talk to other fellow Christians. So I think, just to go back to the main point, I think I would not disagree with the paradigm that Lewis created but i would say that there there is a religious language in in other senses
2: yeah i think i would largely agree with that i have heard that term vision casting okay yeah
1: i was worried when you said religious language was like that that you just meant religious language is annoying (laughs) because every time someone says that i just
0: you cringe at the vision casting andrew
2: yeah i find most uh christian lingo Cringe worthy.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess if I had to, to one last little point, speak now forever, hold my peace. Yeah, go for it. Um, That again, this is, I guess more of a semantic argument, but, um, you know, Lewis, he tends to stay within the written and spoken language. um, But we also live our lives here in the physical. um, And so there's a sense in which, you know, the language we produce with our bodies is also, kind of fits into some of these things, whether it's a completely separate language entirely, or there's a scientific or poetic language to that. Um, you know, but um, we speak every time we dance, smile, you know, cry or, you know, wash, wash people's feet. So, um, you know, that's, I guess, another element to think through.
2: Yeah, that is an excellent point. I think even, you um... And some of the things that Lewis highlights about the incarnation, he talks about that so often that I'm sure he would agree with your point and, and love love it a lot. Well, uh, Andrew and Thornton, thank you so much for joining us, to, to joining me to talk about this essay. Sean wished he could have been here, but uh, he wasn't able to make it tonight. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. Where could we find out more about you? Obviously, searching uh, mere CS Lewis podcast on, on Apple and you guys on Spotify and the other major ones, whatever they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think overcast is, a, is another major one, but yeah. Uh, Apple and Spotify, I think are, yeah. The two main ones that people normally find this on. Yeah.
2: If anyone wants to contact you, are you reachable at someplace?
0: Yeah. So yeah, we're, yeah, you can go on Twitter and find us at mere CS Lewis and on Instagram uh at MirCS Lewis and we now also have a threads account. Oh uh, okay. At, yeah. Yeah. At MirCS Lewis. And then you can also email us uh mere cslewis at gmail.com.
1: All right. So Zuckerberg or Elon, whichever one okay. of you mm-hmm. contacts us first, that'll be our preferred platform.
0: <laughs> you can be bought.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> awesome.
0: Well Jordan, uh so- sorry, just uh one more thing before I sure. hold my peace. Yeah. A uh, couple past couple of months, my wife and I, we've been leading a, a Psalms Bible study and one on one of the nights. Uh, and I guess fun fact, one of the reasons we did a Psalms Bible study was Andrew and I had done our episode reflection on the Psalms. And right. so I thought that would be really cool to walk through others with or just walk through the Psalms with others. So anyway, I digress. But one of the nights we had people write out their own psalms. Hmm. And and so if it's all right, we were talking about poetic language, talking about religious language. And so there was just uh, w- one of the psalms that someone wrote. I just um, I wanted to share just to sort of put into practice this religious language uh, that we had been talking about.
2: That's a great way to end
0: this, I think sweet so this this is called lord how beautiful is your word lord how beautiful is your word on pages of paper you make safe passages through stormy seas civilizations rise and fall criticisms and rebuttals come and go cultures and philosophies develop and unwind but your word remains your scriptures endure like the mountains all are afraid of time but time is humbled by your logos. How beautiful are the hands that hold your words.
2: Amen. The word of the Lord is certainly beautiful. The longest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119, goes on for pages talking about how wonderful God's word is, which reminds me that when we're talking about language and its qualitative side, we're not just talking about stories or poetry, but what we learn about language and its beauty should also apply to the scriptures. As Christians, the gospel has been passed down to us in beautiful language, and so to understand how we can pass that on, we have to appreciate and think about all kinds of language, but especially poetic language. We'll continue in this pursuit of looking at poetic language, particularly metaphor, in the next episodes on the essay, Blue Spells and Phlellan Spheres. It's a tongue twister. I can't wait for you to find out what that is about. Thanks again to Thornton and Andrew for joining us this time. Go check out their podcast, Mir C.S. Lewis. It's really wonderful. And thanks to Terry and David, our top tier patrons, If you would like to help us make these lesser-known works of Lewis more well-known so that Jesus would be more well-known through them, write us a review. It's very simple, very easy to do. It'll help more people find us. Or head over to Patreon to help us cover the costs of keeping this show going. Thanks so much. We'll be with you next week. Until then, may you come to see Jesus this week even more. Jesus, who was the Word in the beginning, the most beautiful word ever spoken.